for listening. Uh, we are here to bring you another episode of part two um, with a guest we had previously um, to continue our conversation. Slightly different topic, but it still kind of flows um, within the same kind of realm of what we've been talking about. Um, we have again here, Dr. Margot Rees. <sighs> Cue applause. Um, and um, I think this is going to be a really good one. Um, so recently, um, there's been a huge kind of uproar of, you know, if, if we're going to tear down racist, uh, racist statues, let's tear down the uh, white depictions of Jesus and pictures and statues, et cetera. Um, it's kind of been uh, a little different for me um i don't know it's i think it's good but then i think there are some problems that could be associated with that um what do y'all think dr margo or or, or trevor whichever one of you guys want to take it on first dr um, reese I, I was just gonna say you know we sort of when we ended our last um you know podcast part of what we talked about was the difference between the historical Jesus and then the spiritual, eternal, glorified Jesus. You know, when when God took on flesh and was on earth for those 33 years, he had to have a body. The body couldn't look like everyone, you know? Um, and uh, I mean, I've definitely heard people try to say that, but it it can't, couldn't look like everyone. And, and we talked about how he was probably unremarkable looking. He looked like just some person walking down the street. And that was part of the point. He wasn't a king. He didn't have striking features. He wasn't handsome. He was just a person, a regular person, because that's the point of the incarnation. But then we know that after he gave his life, God exalted him to the highest place. He's glorified and no one comes to the father except through him. When we talk about that, we talk about the spirit of Jesus, the eternal Jesus, we're really not talking about the body that he inhabited for 33 years. Um, because that's important to us only, like Paul said, I've decided to know among you only Christ and him crucified. It's only important because of the sacrifice he made, not because of his ethnicity. Um, so for me, you know, I want to give honor to people who are trying to be historically accurate and say, yeah, well, Jesus, when he was on earth, didn't look like that. But the most important thing we have to start and end with is that, you know, when we pray, we're not praying to an ethnic, a person that has one face. That's God, you know, Jesus is the imprint mm -hmm. of the image of God, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, it says that, you know, in Colossians, that's one of my favorite verses in Colossians 1. He's the image of the invisible God. Mm -hmm. God's invisible. And, you know, when we pray through the Holy Spirit, we're praying to, you know, to him. 
He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for in him, all things in heaven and earth were created visible and invisible. All of these things in him, all things hold together in him. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's what we should focus on. Not what he looks like in a drawing. Um, but that said, we're going to talk about what he looks like in the drawings today and, and you know, the significance of that as well. I think too, you, you know, you made a point about when we pray that we're not trying to see an image, you know, and so, so many people have been seeing an image when they pray that you may get on one side where let's tear it down. But the other side is like, no, you're not going to touch my Jesus. And it's not just your typical white evangelicals. This may be people that have, you know, let's say my grandparents, um, you know, being African-American, they're so used to having that, you know, you had two pictures in the house with the Dr. Martin Luther King, and then you had Jesus with the blue eyes or either you had oh. the uh, last supper. And so that's what they're so used to, you know, and even in churches. And so for them, it may be hard and you may have that kind of, rebuttal as far as no don't touch my jesus and so that's where we're starting to get into idolization you know um things john's gospel where he said if you've seen me you've seen the father you know and then even he told the woman at the well you know we got to worship god in spirit and truth and so it makes a connection okay well let's do away with these depictions i think it's a good reason why you know they didn't describe jesus physically although you know that particular audience would have known what he looked like you know just mm. you know typical how he might have sound I like Paul Mayer said he had a little twine in his voice a little twang like Appalachian twang <laughs> being his little Galilean and wouldn't know what he sound like but um you know I mean to to me I'm not bothered but I know some people may be shocked but I'm not caught up on you know an, an image or you know a statue of Christ but I think you know the younger generations that are out protesting now, they're, you know, starting to dismantle a lot of, you know, maybe colonial colonialization and not fully understanding, you know, the purpose of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I'm just kind of bad when I had coffee this morning, so I'm kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I try so, not to drink the coffee too close to it. Yeah. <laughs> I always so, say, that, like, if I'm preaching this morning, I have to stop drinking coffee an hour before I get up there. Uh oh, uh oh. Oh no, no, no. We need it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I I remember um, specifically having this conversation uh, with a family member a while ago. Um, I, I had just started to follow Christ. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, super on fire, passionate in it. And um, we we had started to talk about how Jesus is depicted. Now, mind you, I'm still a babe in the faith. I really don't, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know or have many thoughts on it. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, why does it matter? You know, why should it matter <clears throat> what he looks like if at the end of the day, as long as I believe in him and I have faith in him, why does it matter if it doesn't change my salvation? Um, now, as you know, a lot of these things have transpired and I'm a lot more mature in my faith, um, I, I see how it can be a problem. Um, so I, I want to pose this question. Why does it matter? Why should it matter about what he looks like or how he's depicted? I mean, to me, I think 
it depends on who you're talking about is as the audience you know what trevor shared about his grandparents i really know that i mean i ha i i know a lot of my parents friends it's the same thing in their home they yes they've got the martin luther king picture and the you know the like blonde 1950s Sunday school book Jesus that came with the lamb and you know holding the lamb right <laughs> sitting on the thing um and you know they don't they're not upset about that and they don't see it that way but that very image in particularly those people my parents generation so you know when they're they're in their early 70s now during the civil rights era those were the same people that people like Malcolm X came along to and said, look, you're, you're serving a white God and mm -hmm. you don't want to do that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is, it's really the same thing. And I see this in feminist circles as well. You're serving a male God. God's a man because mm -hmm. Jesus was a man. Mm -hmm. And that's again, for me, the biggest issue is why does it matter? Well, it matters when you're evangelizing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it matters once someone has a relationship with the Lord. I just, however they want to depict that, whatever they want to keep for themselves to, to remind them of the God that they love. I'm fine with that. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But mm -hmm. I, I don't think it matters as much. And if, if that really offends them and they need to see it as a reflection of themselves, you know, again, I've seen, my, my mother has these sort of nativities from all over the world. So she has one from Ethiopia, one from South Africa. We have, uh, I've seen like this little screen. It's like a screen with a depiction of um, the Last Supper and they're all Korean and it's written in Korean underneath and Jesus looks Korean, you know, and so do the disciples. I love those multicultural representations of Jesus because what it shows is how personal Jesus is to people. You know, the truth of our gospel is not a what, it's not a philosophy, it's a who, it's Jesus. And he is the most important thing. And so, and he's the center and the origin of all of it. And so once someone has a relationship with him, of course, he speaks to us, he meets us where we are. He doesn't ask that we come up to him. So you know, he speaks to us in our language. I mean, I had this friend tell me one time, he's just describing how he was about to make this huge mistake in his life. And he's like, and I just heard the Holy Spirit say to me, sup you, you know? <laughs> and he's like, that's how God talks to me, you know? And that was like his version of it. I'm saying it bad. You know? Hey. And, and he's like, that's, that's how God talks to me. And I'm like, of course, that's how God talks to you because that's how you talk, you know? And, and I think, you know, God doesn't speak to us in King James Bible English. Say that for once in the back. <laughs> although some people, that is, you know, they're more romantic or more poetic, and that's how they want to hear from the Lord. But I really think, you know, God speaks to us in our own language. And so, you know, he can, in our minds, when we pray to him, if he looks like us, that seems natural. Mm -hmm. But um, I think in terms of why does it matter how he's depicted, especially in relationship to how people are getting angry about it now, mm -hmm. um, like, like you're referring to, it's because they're not angry about the depiction of Jesus. That's secondary. They're angry about the use mm. of Christianity mm -hmm. as a tool for subjugation for like neocolonialism in the mm. East. Um, and, you know, that's a whole other can of worms, but it's always brought back. Like I mentioned, Malcolm X, he, that's where he started was you're serving the white person's God. 
Um, and he used that picture to make that argument. He really mm -hmm. did. I mean, that, yeah. that picture that you sent me with the blonde hair and all that. I mean, mm -hmm. he said, see, you are serving. And, and that's how he means that's the beginning of his argument for Nation of Islam. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember that movie uh, Denzel Washington played him. It's one of my favorites. It's a great movie. Um, it, it is. Even in the jail scene, he challenges the chaplain. He says, you know, he, yeah, he depicts that piece by piece. We know that. And he goes into history. We know that they, you know, these, you know, a typical, we didn't see, you know, uh, white Europeans in this era. You know, if they were, they were Roman, but even Romans had a little bit of tan, so did the Greeks, you know, but, you know, and he, he just took it apart piece by piece and kind of the chaplain in the scene got a little bit offended, kept calling him devil, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think that too, you know, um, you know, to your point that it's, it's, it's deeper than just an image, you know, and, um, whereas these, you know, younger ones that are out protesting have gone to school, have done studies, you know, and, because they're unheard it's like what dr king said riot is the language of the unheard you yeah. know this is the result of not being heard or truth not being told properly in school you know i think um, also though um that the, the pan-african movement yeah that yeah. really started after the civil rights era like in the 70s and the mm -hmm, 80s mm -hmm. um like stokely carmichael and all those people mm -hmm. you know i mean i just i think a lot of what they were reacting to was the neo-colonialism in Africa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they, of course, were speaking about slavery and its effects and Jim Crow, you know, in the United States, but they wanted to go further back. They wanted to yeah. look, they, you know, the West is still meddling. They're still mm -hmm. meddling with other people. And they were right. I mean, it's the effects of that are still there today. It's devastating mm -hmm. and frustrating. And unfortunately, often, very often Christianity was mixed together with that. I mean, even in slavery, we know that the first slave traders were Portuguese. And the first thing they did was send Jesuit priests uh -huh. with the slave traders. And they were like, well, we're going to Christianize these people because they're savages. So we're actually helping them because when they, they're slaves, but when they die, they'll go to heaven. I mean, that's, that was what they were trying to say in like the 15th century. Uh -huh. And so the Portuguese would go in and they'd have these brutal, slave traders that would come in and kidnap these people from their homeland. But before they put them on the ship, they would have a Jesuit priest give them a quote unquote Christian name. And mm -hmm. this is another reason why, you know, Malcolm X and a lot of the people in the Pan-African movement went to changing their names. It wasn't just the slave name. They were like, this is a white name. I want, you know, my original, I want, I don't want this Christian baptized name, you know, so this is what they would do. They would give them a quote unquote Christian name. They would baptize them. And then they would say, okay, now you belong to God. And then they would shackle them and put them on a ship. You better believe I can understand why people are angry and running in the streets about that. And now you have a, you know, a whole, as you say, a whole new group of young people who are extremely educated on that because, of, because they've got decades of research that was done for them and sort of packaged for them through the Pan-African movement as the beginning of it. And then, you know, the Black Power movement, the Black Panthers and so forth. Um, and in some senses that was important because the truth of history needs to be, you know, brought to the surface. 
the problem for me is that, you know, when all of those things, and unfortunately this is still happening today, I tr I'll try not to get too modern political, but <laughs> um, a lot of people who say that they're Christians conflate their Christianity with their nationalism um, mm -hmm. or, or their politics. Right. And I really object to that. Um, I object to it in a very extreme way, but I, I know that there are more mitigated ways to understand it. But I just think, you know, my Christianity is really irrelevant to the fact that I'm American. It really mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. to me. It's, there, there should not really be, those two things are just coincidental. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people in this country who feel like there's some overlap between those two things. People that talk about, oh, the founding fathers tried to make this, you know, a Christian country. And that's a dangerous place to, to start. I think we should just stick to the Bible. That's another uh -oh. can of worms right there. I mean, there. it oh, is. It's hey. enough. <laughs> but what I'm uh -oh. saying is it's all connected. You're right. It's all uh -oh. connected, though, because... Yeah, I mean, and I'm very radical about that, but I just, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't hide it. Um, but no, don't I, be ashamed. Tell it, tell the truth for shame. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I again, the main, the at its core, the actual problem with all mm -hmm. of those things I'm talking about is this, like as I say, the conflation or the confusion or compounding of two things that really, you know, it shouldn't be that way. The, my ethnicity, my background, my where I live, my country, I can be proud of those things and those things can be a part of my identity. It doesn't get completely erased. Mm -hmm. But my, my, the real issue for me is this, this world is actually not my home and it's not my final destination. And when those aspects of, of my life, which are important and significant to the Lord, but you know, because he created us who we are, but those things are not the eternal aspects of our life. You know, we, we look not on what can be seen, but on what is unseen. Because Amen. what is unseen is eternal. Amen. And for me, we want to cherish our differences and celebrate diversity. And I do believe in those things because God made us. It says we're all created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. So that means everyone on earth is, as a whole, is a reflection of God. God has diversity in him inherently. And, and you know, the, the first place we see this is the Trinity. Yeah. Um, we know that the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are distinct, but they're mm -hmm. one. They're, they're one. not three right. separate things. Mm -hmm. They're one. Mm -hmm. And that mystery of how they can be three different things, but be one and, and fully united um, is the mystery of diversity. That's mm -hmm. what that is. And that's what we're meant to reflect. God doesn't want us to all meld into one. He, he, he made us all, you know, unique, but we're supposed to be united mm -hmm. and we're supposed to understand that in Christ, in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave yeah. or free, barbarian or Scythian. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean those things don't exist anymore and we stop, you know, we stop treasuring our heritage or anything like that. But it means that in Christ, that's not how he sees us. He sees mm -hmm. us all as one. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when people get off on this sort of, um, let's tear down this image, I'm so angry about this image, it's because they're, they're just too focused on what's happening in the world right now. They're citizens right. here right. rather than in heaven. Right. Um, 
on that about tearing down the image, I'm kind of interested to see the image they will erect. Mm. Are they looking for, I'm, and I'm wondering this, and either one of y'all can jump in and answer or express how you feel. I wonder if they're looking for the same type of Messiah that the Jews were looking for, a warlock, uh, one that's going to set them free versus one that's going to appeal to their soul or the, the state of their mind, state of their soul, you know, setting the captives free, poor in mind. You know, I'm, because the way that they're going about with the riots, and I'm not saying all of them, you know, and let's tear this down, let's tear that down. It's almost like, well, who are you going to erect? You know, because, you know, it's not about an image when you're in Christ. It's just, I'm glad to be in Christ because I know when I close my eyes off this world, where I'm going. And so I can care less. I mean, if he was an Asian Christ, you know, if he was an Alaskan Christ, uh, you know, Antarctic, whatever. I mean, he's a Martian. I don't care. You know, that man died for me. You know, he had me on his mind. He said, look, I can't get off the cross because Trevor got some problems he's going through. (laughs) And I don't think they see that. I think they're just, it's one, it's maybe just acting on the right now. Um, the pain of their parents and grandparents not being able to freely express themselves and fight and just mm. we're going to we're going to do history the right way, you know, or, or in their minds the right way. But to me, I'm just I don't know. How do y'all feel about what what will they erect? Because, I mean, we don't have a solid depiction of what Jesus looked like. And I think it's there so we can, like you said, Dr. Reese, that we all find ourselves in Christ. I mean, I, I also think though that when, what they're really tearing down is not the physical image. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna end with nothing. Mm-hmm. They're gonna end with just get rid of Christianity. Mm. That's how that, what's happening right now, that's where that ends. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I see Jamal nodding. Why don't you contribute? <laughs> I was I was gonna say the exact same thing. I don't I don't I don't see them uh, erecting anything in place of what was once there. I think mm-hmm. it's just gonna be a matter of you know there was a Jesus statue once here, and that's it, and it's it's gone. Um, and I've I've seen I've seen a lot of um, a lot of responses to it from, I don't want to say they're not Christian. I mean, I've seen responses from non-Christians, but I also seen responses just from everyone that, that aren't your typical makeup. I don't know how to, I don't even know how to describe this without ruffling too many feathers, but I think I'm just going to say it. Um, The, the, the typical mode of someone with the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. um, It's, it's just been, this is a white Jesus. Let's tear it down. There's no solution after that. Let's just tear it down. So I, I actually agree with 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 you, Doctor Rees. I don't I don't think there's going to be anything there to replace the um, the statue. It's just going to be get rid of Christianity. You know, we, yeah, and honestly, a lot of things are pointing to that direction. Yeah, mm. I mean, I think the reaction that you're seeing is that people, it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater because they're basically saying, you know, all of Christianity was just a false construct to manipulate, uh, well, and in this case, in the case of, of the specific argument you're talking about, I mean, there's like 50 arguments like this 
incidentally, but this particular one is, you know, for example, like Malcolm X and others who, who came along after him would say, um, Christianity is just a, a white construct to get you to tolerate the suffering of this life because you know that you're promised eternity. So, you know, this will make you sit down and behave. And, you know, that's how it was viewed as a tool to subjugate. Well, in this context, it's been viewed this way in many different social contexts, but in the context you're discussing, it's been used and it was used this way. You know, you look at the history of Christianity, Cotton Mather and people like this that, um, you know, use Christianity as a tool to subjugate and get good obedient behavior out of slaves or just out of mm -hmm. black people, you know, in general. And um, that's a very, that's a Marxist view of Christianity. That's what, that's actually what that is. It's just a, a communist understanding of Christianity, which is that it's the opiate of the masses, obviously. That's mm -hmm. what Mark said it's a way to it's like a drug that will make people behave and we have to call that out and talk about it because this is how people are talking about Christianity not just in the this particular category our whole world is it, the western world and the United States that's how people think of Christianity now a lot and um and they think of it as you know as a tool or as a crutch or at best as one of 20 different things you can use for self-help and like, you know, that's your thing that helps you get through life kind of thing. Not mm -hmm. that's the ultimate truth about the world and life and eternity. Mm -hmm. And we, I mean, this is just one other category where it can be struck down because it was misused, you know, oh, yeah. just, we talked about the Nazis uh, misusing and, and misinterpreting that. Um, we've talked about, you know what happening during the crusades obviously same thing mm -hmm. you're going to go to war and force people to quote unquote convert to christianity i mean that is a veiled gospel at best mostly it's just not the gospel at all it's just someone using the text right. to put forward their own political agenda or their own mm -hmm. evil you know desires let me um you said something i've been i, I remember i put this in a paper about americanized jesus and I want to share just briefly a story. It's a church here in Richmond. They sent a missions to Saudi Arabia. Now, Saudi Arabia, a Muslim country, you cannot openly preach Jesus. So they had to do it covertly. Almost, you know, you see sending in like CIA, you don't know if they were CIA, you know, FBI, whatever. So they, um, and a guy was telling me, he goes, I used to work with, and, um, you know, wonderful older man, you know, a mentor I call him a mentor of mine um so he was saying that you know these they came back from Saudi Arabia it was a group of girls and um they would kind of secretly do missions and so they had a group of Saudi Arabian college students so uh, young women and they knew where they were staying at so they came to their apartment at nighttime so they wouldn't get caught and um the biggest thing with them was we don't want the American Jesus Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know, and that's a that's a problem of, you know, how we have hijacked, you know, uh, Jesus in America. And, you know, if image is a big deal to you, the image has changed. The language has changed, you know, interpretation. To a, you know, a great extent, it, it has changed to fit a narrative that played into the hands of how we look at the text with, you know, hermeneutics, you know, and even with our homiletics when we deliver. Um, but I, 
you know, that was, it was brilliant for y'all to say that I don't, that another image won't erect and thus maybe you start to do away with the Christianity in the West, you know, as it's starting to be a silence. But again, I think, you know, the can of worms we were talking about earlier that I don't think they're prepared for that conversation about, you know, freedom of religion, what that really meant <laughs> to the founding fathers. But, you know, it's just, it's interesting because I mean, you know, going back to the image, you know, um, with some cultural studies, I mean, you have depictions of Christ in with being a, a somebody from Pakistan or India, China, Korea, any Hispanic country, and they don't look like an American. Gee, I think it's just you're trying to put him culturally, and that's fine because you're finding yourself in, you know, into Christ, and that's okay. Um, I don't know if you're doing that. I mean, well, but the objection that you're raising, that these young ladies were raising in Saudi Arabia is Mm -hmm. is significant because they're not reacting to a physical depiction of Christ. That's not what they meant. When they said, we don't want the American Christ, what they meant is don't try to bring your politics, Mm -hmm. your view of how women ought to behave, your view of what uh, people eat and drink and all of their customs. Mm -hmm. Don't bring that in here. And, you know, that is the fault of so many people who claim that they were proclaiming Christianity when they were actually just forwarding a governmental imperialistic like mm. uh, agenda. Mm. And it happened all over the world. You know, I, mm. I'm thinking while you're saying this, of two or three different things. Um, first of all, E. Stanley Jones, he was a missionary to India mm-hmm. um, during the time that Gandhi led the uprising against the British imperial presence there. And it's interesting. He took a lot of flack. Like he basically, his denomination kind of abandoned him because the longer he stayed there, the more he became acclimated to Indian culture. And he said, you know, the real problem here is that we're not bringing Christ to these people. We're bringing them Christianity. Mm. And what we say is Christianity is a bunch of doctrines that are based on Western culture and Western tradition. And it's unappealing to them for two reasons. First, it doesn't mean anything to them because it, why should they have to change how they dress? you know, in order to worship God? Why can't they just do it their way? And then second of all, it's, it's unappealing because to them it represents British imperialism. You know, we're just trying to Britishize them when we try to convert them to Christianity. We're trying to make them act like British people and they want to be Indian. And so he spent all this time with these Hindu pundits and basically what they said to him was, I have no objection to Christ. He's a beautiful spiritual figure. Um, I would be willing to, to think about that. Um, but I, I don't want your Christianity because it's your Americanness, it's your Britishness, and we don't want that here in India. We want to be Indian. And, um, and so there's this, he, he wrote a book called The Christ of the Indian Road. And the title is that because at one point he's speaking to this man who was a Brahmin, which means he was you know, like the highest caste, but he was like an Indian priest and um, a Hindu priest. And he said, he was speaking to this gentleman and the Brahmin turned to him and said, I don't like the Christ of your creeds and the Christ of your churches. And he's talking about British churches and British creeds. And he says, my friend quietly replied to him, then how would you like the Christ of the Indian road? And the Brahmin thought a moment and mentally pictured the Christ of the Indian road. He saw him dressed in sadhu's garments, seated by the wayside with the crowds about him, healing blind men who felt their way to him, putting his hands upon the head of the poor, unclean lepers who fell at his feet, announcing the good tidings of the kingdom to stricken folks staggering up the lone hill with a broken heart and dying on a wayside cross for men 
but rising triumphantly and walking on that road again. And he suddenly turned to the friend of mine and said earnestly, I could love and follow the Christ of the Indian road. And then he said, is the Christ of the Indian road any different from the Christ of the Galilean road? Not at all. Mm. And that's the problem. He, he's saying, I, I want you to just look at Jesus and stop thinking about all of this other stuff. You know, he picked that up. But I think even our missionaries, when they go, they're bringing so much with them. You, you know, you look at like the story of, you know, the Baptist missionaries who went to Hawaii. I don't know if you know that, that story. So you know how, you know the word moo moo? We talk about when, when a woman's like, oh, yeah, yeah. lady wears a big, big dress, <laughs> and all moo, right? Yeah, okay. oh, yeah. Well, that word moo moo is actually a Hawaiian word. And moo moo's, because you know the Hawaiian women traditionally are very big and they would wear these big long dresses with flowers on them that's like a big long house dress you know mm-hmm. and um that word mumu is Hawaiian and it comes from uh, a time in the early 1800s when the Baptist missionaries went to Hawaii and they wanted to evangelize the Hawaiians and teach them about Christianity so of course they got there and the first thing that was a big problem for these ladies who are, you see these missionaries, the women are dressed in those Victorian dresses up to their neck with like a corset. I mean, it's like a hundred degrees and oh, they've cool. got a big thing on, you know, cause if you're a good Baptist Christian in 1801, you better be wearing that or you're, you know, a wayward woman. So they get onto the shores of Hawaii and these people are literally walking around basically naked because that's mm. what they don't wear clothes. I mean, and mm. they're not, doing anything bad. That's just the way they dress. Mm -hmm. The very first thing these people did was like, okay, if you're going to be a Christian, you can't walk around with, you know, your top showing, we've got to cover Mm -hmm. you up. Mm -hmm. And they, none of their dresses fit these ladies because they were much larger. So they, they just took fabric and made these dresses and the natives started calling them moomoos. Now, I know that it would be uncomfortable for them to sit there and look at these people with no clothes on, but that's their problem. These people, mm-hmm. this is their culture. What right. you think Jesus can't be available to them until their top is covered. It doesn't make sense. It's not that they're imposing a Western social convention on a place that had no need for it. That's good. You understand? And to me, that's an example um, and it's a very extreme example. And I like to use it because it kind of pushes us. Like, could mm. I sit there and could I be, and, and, you know, I'm like, maybe you couldn't, but the spirit of Christ got no problem showing up there. He is not embarrassed by that. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. will just speak to us where we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, evangelism is not the infusing of our, even our systematic, like theology or doctrine into people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is introducing people to Jesus. That's it. And then mm. he does the work. He does the work. It says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go up to someone and be like, let me convince you what a sinner you are and then explain to you how you can get forgiven. Yeah. This is kind of what people do when they evangelize because it's the American version of, you know, Christian theology. And I think you're then when you do that, you're bringing Christianity but you're not really introducing them to Christ. If we believe that the spirit of Christ is alive and that the Holy Spirit is dynamic and can mm-hmm. interact with people, he doesn't actually need our help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we do have an imperative to share that with people out of love. Mm-hmm. However, what we're really trying to do is introduce them to Christ and let him do the talking, mm-hmm. just like this Christ of the Indian road. Right. Um, so, you know, leave Martin Luther... Leave John Calvin, leave all them guys home. 
you know, when you go on a mission. I mean, <laughs> you don't want to give them. And I'm saying this because before you clean a fish, you got to catch one. You know, yeah. and so you just want to give them what's in the gospel, what's in the scripture, you know. Um, you're going to some some people may come become overwhelmed with what what you might where your stance might be on soteriology or which is doctrine of salvation or demonology. All of that goes into effect with some of these countries. Um, and even into some portions of the gospel may be offensive. You know, like for instance, Jesus riding on a donkey in certain cultures that may be offensive. And so, you know, that's, that comes along a little bit later, but just, you know, Hey, listen, you know, deity, death, resurrection, and you can go off of that. Um, if y'all were to, let me ask you guys this. Now I've been thinking about this. Let's say we, you know, us three, we take a trip downtown, you know, whatever, you know, I know we got audiences all across the country. Um, so we take a trip downtown and um, we want to evangelize or we just want to talk to some folks. And they're saying, man, we got to tear down this, this image of Christ. How would you e- talk to somebody about that? Um how would you how would you go about presenting the gospel? Hmm. Cue the Jeopardy music. I know. I'm trying to <laughs> yeah, because I just talked for so long. No. Um I think I think first um I would I would in, engage them with that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't dwell heavily, heavily on it, but I, I will engage them with that conversation and just be um, empathetic to how they feel first and then start to kind of direct the conversation to Christ. I like what um, Dr. Reed said, you know, mm-hmm. um, about giving people Christianity instead of giving them Christ. So um, I, I would, I would, at least from my point of view, I would, um, I would handle it that way. I would, I would be empathetic to how they feel, engage them with that conversation, and then just direct the conversation back to Christ or direct the conversation towards Christ and, and just show them the, the beauty of who Christ, Christ is, no matter how he looks, um, as long as your personal relationship is exactly what it is a personal relationship i think that's all that at matters at the end mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's good that's good i um you know i was up in new york a couple of years ago visiting my brother and i got into a taxi to go to the airport and um this man was driving and we just started talking because that's what i do i just start talking to people <laughs> <laughs> and um he was a muslim and we, I don't remember how that came up, but we started talking and he was, he was telling me, we were talking about Ramadan and different things. And um, as we talked, he said, oh, you're a Christian. And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And he said, but, but you seem like, you know, like a nice person that I can talk to. Can I, do you, would you mind if I ask you some questions about Christianity? Because there are things that bother me, but people get so offended, you know? And I said, yeah, you can ask me whatever you want. And, you know, devout Muslims, they're like devout Jews. They love to like argue and discuss theology and like talk Mm -hmm. about different arguments. You know, they want to get into like these long theological discussions about, 
you know, passages of scripture and the Quran mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, that's, that's what they consider part of their worship is to have these intense discussions back and forth. So I was prepared for how he was going to ask me. And he started talking and that's what he did. He went straight to the humanity of Jesus. He said, look, this is what I don't understand. And I'm going to be a little graphic because this is what he said. He said, you say that Jesus was God incarnate, but that doesn't make any sense to my mind, to a Muslim mind, because Mm -hmm. God wouldn't take a human body. And again, mm-hmm. that's what Paul says is the offense of the cross, is that, mm-hmm. a, that God would allow that to happen to him. And right. what he said was, he said, you mean to tell me, and he said, excuse me, don't be offended, but that God would would go to the bathroom and God would do this and do that. And he starts naming things like, you know, using the bathroom that a human has to do, that it's like, that's, you know, that's marring the like immutability of God. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's offensive to me. And I said, yeah, I a hundred percent understand how when you look at it that way, it's offensive. And I said, but let me tell you something, you know, I know the scripture, I know the Quran, I could argue with him if I wanted. And he would have loved that. He would have loved it, but I would have gotten out of that cab and it would have been a conversation. Mm-hmm. But I said to him, can I tell you something? I said, here's the thing. I know that Jesus is the son of God because I know him. Mm-hmm. He was just a man that lived for 33 years. Then yes, what color he is and what he did and all of those things would be super important to me because it was some guy 2000 years ago, but it would also mean that he's just a guy, but I know him because he is an eternal spirit. And I said, when I pray, I speak with him. I have a relationship with him. And that wouldn't be possible if he was just that guy that mm. lived for 33 years. And I said, and so I'm not going to tell you all of the scriptural arguments. I, I want you to hear that. And I said, and I know that if I, if, if I were allowed to pray for you, this is what I said to him, if I were allowed to pray for you, um, you would be able to sense his spirit. And he would gently introduce himself to you. And you wouldn't need me to tell you about him. Mm-hmm. And he just literally, I did not expect this. He was like, I want you to pray for me. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, um, mm-hmm. you do, you know, cause that's not the normal response. And he was like, yes. And, and I said, okay. And he like stopped the cab <laughs> and put his hand, I'm not kidding, through the window and I held his hand and I just prayed like simple prayer. And I just asked for God's blessing over, I asked the name of his children and everything. I asked that God would bless his children and bless his family and that, and that Jesus would, you know, would let him feel his peace and his comfort. And, you know, I just, I prayed and I just prayed that the Holy spirit would be present. He literally got out of the cab and he was like, I feel so good, right? I'm so glad you got in wow. my taxi. Now he didn't say like, I'm going to bow down on my knee and ask Jesus right. into my heart and pray mm-hmm. the prayer. He didn't do any of that. But the point is he had a spiritual encounter with the Lord. And to me, that's what I have to offer people. Mm-hmm. I do like to talk. And that's actually why I don't like to evangelize by talking because it's too much, too much talking. Mm-hmm. I want to just say, let me, how can I pray for you? And mm. What, what, what needs, why are you hurting right now? You're hurting. You want this sculpture taken down. You want this image torn down. What, why does that hurt you so much? Tell me about your pain. And then Mm -hmm. let the person just tell you about some time when they were hurt by, you know, I don't know, by the white church, by that image, by, by their grandfather had to do something. I mean, whatever it is that, that they're carrying, ask Mm -hmm. them what they're carrying and then say, 
I can't fix that. But I know that if I pray for you, that God can start to heal those things and he'll reveal himself to you what he really looks like, how he really is that you need to see. Mm -hmm. And, you Mm -hmm. know, you just invite the Lord to do his work. And to me, that experience was really important because it's the answer. Every time someone wants to embroil me in one of these discussions is I just say to them kind of, can I, could, could I just pray for you? Mm-hmm. I've actually never had, I asked permission. I've never had someone say no. Even people mm. who say that I don't believe in God, eventually they get to a point where they're like, yes, okay, I'll, I would like you to pray for me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. right. Even, even if we take Paul's words in, in Romans, God has given every man, every woman, a measure of faith, you know, Amen. and that may, be the, that may be the point, you know, like right now, so much hurt, you know, is a good time just hey can i pray for you you know and don't and don't be afraid and don't be upset when they said man get that stuff away from me sometimes you know i had to learn with evangelism you got to learn to take an l you know Mm -hmm. and be patient be kind be suffering taking count of the fruits of the spirit you know but i like what you said uh both of y'all like what both of y'all said just being a servant Mm -hmm. and i think we forget that and you know sometimes when people you know, or just say some folks are out there evangelism. They say, well, why don't you want to get saved? Why don't you, you know, hey, not a problem. You know, let that go because you're making the problem a little bit worse than what it needs to be, you know, and just present Christ. Don't worry about presenting your denomination, your whatever you subscribe to theologically, just present Christ. And uh, I think that we can get a little bit further than where, you know, we are now and, I, who knows what God is up to with tearing down images? I mean, we go back to the commandment, you know, the, the Decalogue. How should not have any graven image? So, I mean, maybe he's doing stripping our minds away of praying to this image, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said something cool, Dr. V. I know it's kind of a little bit left, but I, I hear a lot of how Muslims come to faith when they start having these dreams and they keep seeing, you know, Isa or Jesus, you know, yeah. he came to me, he just said, follow me. You know, and it's the same as with the Gospels, you know, and maybe if we can tap into how Jesus said, just follow me, just so kind and patient, you know, where he went to call these men, you know, it's just fascinating. Even even women. And that was astonishing for women to be following, you know, a, a, a rabbi, you know, and Jesus not rebuking. Get away from me, you know, <laughs> but, you know, allow yeah, me. And I mean, I think what you're tapping on also here is that, you know, when when someone has a dream and they see the Lord, it means that they are, they have a spiritual heart mm. and we live in kind of a, a post-spiritual moment. So there are a lot of people who just, they're not, they're not operating at that plane. So they mm. do not want to hear what you have to say because they don't, it's like Paul says, people who are not spiritual can't discern spiritual things because yes. it's foolishness yeah. to them because it's spiritual. Mm-hmm. So they can't use wisdom or intellect. And that's the problem. We need to not be using wisdom or intellect. We need to be using godly wisdom, but we need to be, you know, interpreting spiritual things to people who are spiritual. That's what it says. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when you're talking to someone who is devout in any Mm -hmm. way, um, they're already open. That's, that's Mm -hmm. when I spoke to this man, the reason it wasn't because of something I said, it was because his heart was, was open to receive. He wanted to know God. He wanted to know God and he was doing the best he could with the way he was raised. And I'm just praying for him and letting, you know, opening a door that, that Jesus could reveal himself to him. And I, 
you know, I really believe that that has to do with the condition of someone's heart. It's like, you know, the parable of the sower, just some, some people's heart is the good soil and some people's heart is the path and you can throw out the seeds and the birds take it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Two things. Um, the, the first one, I'm going to kind of take a step back. I think, I think we even see, um, <clears throat> see it in, 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 the scriptures as well, how, how people came into Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't primarily just out in the street, just preaching, you know, repent, repent, but they actually went to the people, um, and, and they engaged them. They prayed for them. They healed them. They, they, you know, they did all of these miracles and people were just like, I, I want that. I, I want Jesus. I want what he has mm-hmm. to offer, uh, offer me. So I, I was just thinking like, you know, that's, that's profound, um, you know, uh, just just to, and instead of talking, like you said, Dr. Reese, instead of just doing a lot of talking, like, how can I give you Jesus? Like, where are you in your point? Uh, where, where are you uh, in your life that you need Jesus? You've tried everything else. Um, you know, how can I give you? And I, I, I'm just thinking about the woman who, who had the, um, the uh, medical issue. Um, and, and she spent all her money, all of her money, all, all the things that she had, you know, going to different doctors, trying to fix this medical issue. And mm-hmm. all she did was touch, you know, just a, a, a piece of Jesus's clothes. And, and he felt his power go from him into her and she was healed immediately. <clears throat> so I just, I just, I just I'm think that's, shout on that's it. awesome. <laughs> um, and then the, the second one, um, just to share kind of a testimony. Um, I remember I was at uh, Waffle House one one day. I was waiting on my food. And um, one of the workers there, he stopped. He, he looked. He said, are you reading the Bible? I said, yeah, I am. And he said, wow, I, I haven't seen one of those in years. Mm. I, haven't even, I haven't touched one. I haven't opened one. And I asked him, I said, why not? He said, well, it's, it's, it's a bit of a long story, but um, I, I, I just don't feel like, you know, it's for me, it's, you know, whatever, whatever. He didn't really get into too much detail because he was at work and I, and I understood that. So he started to ask me questions, you know, what are you reading? You know, blah, 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 blah. Um, so some, somehow, and I don't remember specifically what happened, but somehow we ended up, um, oh, I, I actually remember. I, I asked him, you know, when was he getting off and when was his lunch break? Um, so he, uh, he told me I'm, I'm getting off within the next hour or so I said, okay, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go and get you a Bible and I'm going to come back and I'm going to, I'm going to give you that Bible. He kind of chuckled. Okay. He's probably thinking in his mind, this guy's going to forget. He's not going to be here. So I left the Waffle House with my food. I went immediately to Ollie's. I picked up a Bible, ESV Bible, and I waited for that hour drove back he walked out he just had this just shockingly look upon his face like this guy actually came back <clears throat> so long story short um he i i just started to um i i asked him again you know why haven't you opened the bible you know i i know you didn't want to get in too much detail he said well um i'm 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 dating um this this um this girl he was actually a transgender woman he said, I'm, I'm, I'm dating this girl and my, my parents, they're very religious, they're Baptist. Um, and, um, I, I wanted them to meet her 
and um they they rejected it they rejected me they said if 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 you bring that that guy here um we're gonna kick you out of the house you you can't stay here um and um he started to tear up a little bit and um and i and i i told him i said you know um their their response is is not a a a christ-like response and i said i want to apologize on their behalf um you know however way you felt um you know i i can't say that i i felt the same way but um i hear the pain in your voice and i want to acknowledge that but i said christ that that is not christ what you experienced that was not christ that was not love um so um you know we we kind of went and he started to kind of go into you know well I don't really believe in it because of this and history doesn't show it. And, you know, of course it, you know, if he lived and you're just kind of starting to kind of go in the debate track, but I just told him, I said, look, man, um, you know, I would love to pray for you. Um, I got his name. I, I said, I would love to pray for you. I love to pray for your family. Um, you know, take that Bible. I said, you know, I said, you know, read it, please read it, get back into it, read it for yourself, put out all of, you know, what you thought you knew of the Bible, just put it out of your mind and just allow Christ to speak to you, directly to you. Um, I, I, I never saw him again, but I'm, I'm hoping that seed was planted. And I'm just just thinking back because I wanted to, to debate him um, and do a lot of talking, but I realized it wasn't getting anywhere. So I just wanted to share that just to kind of confirm what, what you both were saying about just cut out the talking don't ask, you know, well, why don't you want to be saved, et cetera, et cetera. Just give them Christ and I'll, I'll stop talking. <laughs> well, I love that story. So, mm. I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's what Jesus did. Honestly, if you look, the only time he called people out on their sin was the religious leaders. Mm-hmm. It's not that he, you know, said sin is okay. You know, everyone always wants to talk about, well, go and sin no more. Don't sin so nothing worse happens to you, those kind of things. He did. But when he saw people, you know, in the street, when the woman that everyone knew was a prostitute was, was, you know, putting the alabaster jar over his feet and and wiping his feet, he didn't be like, Hey, let me go through like this theological reason why what you're doing is sinful. You know, Mm. you could have done that to that guy if you really wanted to, but instead, you know, he let her be in his presence and she was changed by being in his presence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't tell us that, but we know that mm-hmm. by being around him, her life was going to be different. He did just being in his spiritual presence. And that's what you did. And I love that. It just, just showing that person love and devotion saying, I'm willing to go, man, Jamal's like, he's like going to be, you know, he's I like call him pastor. Yeah, I call man, him pastor Seth. I, I love that. I always call him pastor Seth. <laughs> You know, that reminds me, you know, what old church mothers used to say, that it's hard to come in contact with Jesus and remain the same. And you ask the question, mm-hmm. why? It's because it's so much love, you know. Um, I, um, I'm i also, I, I like to, to hear near-death experiences and people going to heaven, and they talk about, you know, I, whether how you feel about it, but they talk about this love that is, and it's the wildest thing. Like, I mean, people, they would say like, man, I didn't even believe in God. Like, you know, I was over here and it's like, they see Jesus and they said, it's so much love. And I think that's what we got to tap into. If we're out on the streets with these protests, it's just show them love. Cause a lot of them are hurt. 
you know, and I know that we're, you know, in social distancing. So it's kind of, it's, you know, we can't embrace them just to give them a hug and just say, man, I love you. You know, my sister, I love you, you know, and someone will break down crying, you know, uh, so, but I, I mean, it's just, it's so many stories like, you know, what Jamal's talking about, uh, what Dr. Reese is talking about, but if you notice what they're doing is they can engage you with, with argument, argumentation, but it's that, it's the whole, if you're tapped into the Holy Spirit, it's not Holy Spirit, it's just say, shut your mouth, you know, hey, chill out, yeah. you know, because now's not the time because you can really turn that person further away. You know, that's something God had to deal with me on. So I was like, listen, I'd rather have a conversation. Hey, listen, man, you drink coffee. Let's go get a cup of coffee. You know, let's just talk. And I mean, I have friends that are, are you know, people that I know that are, you know, atheists or they may be into whatever ancestral religion in Africa. And we just have a conversation. There's no argument. I'm not with the argument. <laughs> That's just not me. Yeah. You know, I, I I would rather just have a conversation and get a little bit further, you know, that way. And so I'm, I'm cool with not arguing, but I think if I was, you know, Monument Avenue today, it's just, it's just listening to their story, where they come from. And like you both are saying, a lot of them just have some hurt, you know, like what Dr. Reed, Dr. Reed said something powerful that, you know, the white church could have done something or said something, you know? And so, you know, and I don't, I don't want to say white, but just churches that are predominantly white, you know, and that could have hurt them. And so they're lashing out. And so they just, sometimes they just need a listening ear. Yeah. Shoulder to cry on. Yeah. And also, you know, the idea that we have to remember in our own experiences growing in the Lord or even coming to the Lord. I don't know if you all grew up in the church, but like even people who came to the Lord as an adult, when they tell their testimony, it's not like I was going along and one day I was struck to my knees. They'll tell you a, a series of five or six points in their life where, well, this man said this thing to me, but I wasn't really paying attention, but I remembered it. And then mm -hmm. this thing happened, but I didn't really do anything about it. I mean, you, you've heard these stories. And then it's like when they come to the point where they meet Jesus, you know, all of those things appear to be steps on that journey. And we just have to remember that sometimes when we're, we interact with people who need the Lord, we may be like one of those way down there steps on their journey. And so just because, just like Jamal said, he doesn't know, he'll never probably see that person again. He doesn't know. But what you did is definitely a benchmark event in that person's life. And he's going to yes. remember it. Oh, yeah. You know? And it doesn't matter that, you know, we've got to get past that. Like, we need to make converts. Like, he's got to bow down on the parking lot of Waffle House. Right. <laughs> but, you know, mm -hmm. what you're doing is the work of the gospel. And, you know, Paul says that one plants and other waters, but it's God who gives the growth, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Um, well... Um, Trevor, you have any specific questions or? Nah, I, um, this was a really good conversation. Um, I think much needed for today's time, uh, what we're going through, especially in the city of Richmond. So, um, you know, being former capital of Confederacy, you know, you've seen a lot of statues being torn down. You know, I had some friends, um, in other states, their youth pastors had, text me and say, man, we got students asking us, what should we do? And, you know, and so this conversation is much needed, uh, I think, across the board. So what is, I mean, are, do you have a specific recommendation that you would give to someone who's dealing with that? Like, 
like you're saying in, in a church, they have students, they're asking them. I mean, um, you know, some people are taking a hard stance one way or the other on attending the protests and mm -hmm. standing next to people who are saying things that they don't necessarily agree with. Other people are saying, well, it doesn't matter if you don't agree with everything, you're still showing solidarity. I'm just curious, what's your, do you have a... You know, uh, me personally, I've kind of been, I haven't been out protesting. And I mean, for one main reason, I got to protect my house. You know, I got two little girls. So, so I'm just kind of like, I'm not, you know, God, I'm praying from a distance. Let me say that. Um, I, what I told one friend was, you know, there were more, they were more so concerned as far as like with tearing down the Confederate statues, you know, like, what should we say? And I think that at some point, we have to get into the conversation of history and what it means to certain people that when we see that, and then on the other side is this idolization. And for those in the church, you know, what does that mean when we look at the text? Um, you know, at, at some point where well, I say, this is just a, a conversation where we come and I listen to your side, you listen to my side and we can see if we can work things together. Um, I think what it says in Isaiah, come let us reason is still poignant today that we need to come to the table and listen instead of standing behind a fence and throwing rocks at each other, both sides, this goes for both sides, yeah. you know, and not listening to each other. This is the pain. Well, this is what we see from this side, you know, uh, well, he, my grandfather, my great, great grandfather fought, you know, and that's history. I'm not, you know, we can't undo history, but it's it's just history. But at the same time, our history on this side is, well, the man your grandfather was fighting for owned my foreparents. And some letters we have from them are very brutal. And so we have every time we see the flag or we see that statue, it causes pain. If we talk about the statue of Christ, then I think that's a good starting point in saying that my hope is not in a statue. A statue cannot save me. Mm -hmm. I'm not saved by a statue, but that image that was given to my four parents has caused great pain and suffering. And so that's something we need to come to the table and say that we all see ourselves, you know, and that's the uniqueness of Christianity is that it's not just black. It's not just white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever. It is a multitude of people. John said, I saw nations, mm -hmm. nations. Right. And so that's a whole nother thing about being angels when we die. But, I, I, you know, to some, I guess, you know, if Dr. Reese come behind me, clean it up, that in some ways we retain what we look, look like now in heaven. I mean, that's the mm -hmm. beauty of it is I still may be a black man in heaven, you know? And so you cannot be a racist and go to heaven because it's so many different people. I mean, John talks about it, what I call his dissertation in first John, and this is love, you know, and it's back again in his gospel is love, love God, love neighbor. You can't love God and not love your neighbor. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a big old um, explosion that's happening, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see that conversation happen. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just neat. everybody's trying to say they're going to have this conversation. Um, it, it's a big mess, so I don't know. I don't see it. That's the problem. I don't see this conversation actually happening in other places. We're, we're having this conversation, but, but I don't see... I think we mostly agree, though. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I think, yeah, having this conversation with people who don't agree is is you know, probably 
part of it. I don't know. For me, though, I, I just I have a problem when people are saying that, you know, that that they're Christians and yet they're so intensely concerned about the fact that their great great grandfather was had a statue. Of, I mean, that's that we're not I you know, we don't believe in ancestor worship the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a Christian. Right. I'm there not identify. Thank God the sins of the father are not held against the sins of the children, but we're not right. going to commemorate the sins of the father either. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and to me, that's that's my problem. I'm like, well, if your identity is wrapped up in those grandparents, then you're not really a Christian. You right something else happening here um, because right. you know our identity is who we are in Christ and yes we retain our you know individuality but that's not the same thing as our history and people from hundreds of years I mean the whole story of scripture shows us that thank God we are not going to be held responsible to what you know but but we are going to be held responsible if we keep raising it back up and saying mm. I, I want to be identified with everything my ancestors did Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's sad to me that people have the opportunity to get rid of that ugliness and they keep right. bringing it back. Bring it back up. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just don't understand. I mean, I literally just don't understand it. I, I mm-hmm. say I want to let those people into the conversation, but I actually don't really. You know, and I'm, af- I'm afraid too, as far as like, if, okay, we, we're at the table opposites, who's going to be the moderator? Because one side is going to be like, well, you got him. And the other side, well, y'all got him. And, you know, it's just, it's a constant back and forth. And I think it's just going to take some people on both sides that are, you know, understanding and say, okay, let's have this conversation. But at the same time, we don't speak for everybody, but we're just being a starting point. Like for us here, we're just a, we're a starting point to carry the conversation to our homes and to our churches, social groups, social groups, and, you know, just be a point to where we can come and talk. But I think that some people will see, you know, how they have contributed negatively both sides to what's happening. And that's, you know, the position we're in where everybody's right culture is a problem. So, yeah, I mean, people, you have to only invite people to that table who have a willingness to Mm -hmm. listen Mm-hmm. Um, because there are people who are just screaming and they're not listening and right. on, on all sides of it. Um, and then there are other people who are hurt and they want to be allowed to speak, but I think at least they might be willing to also listen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, I mean, he's like mega famous now, but like Ibram Kendi, um, you know, who wrote, uh, stamped from the beginning and, mm-hmm. um, in how to be an anti-race it's just like the, his book that's now he's like skyrocketed to stardom like i went and heard him speak and i when i lived in florida and years ago and i and i read um stamped from the beginning i love that book um but in the in the introduction to that book he says um i'm not writing this book for to change someone's mind who's like a staunch you know racist or who's who's so angry and they're stuck in one view. He's like, because mm-hmm. people like that, why would you even read this book? Just put it down. Because I'm not trying to, it's not an apologetic. I'm not trying to win you over. Mm-hmm. He said, I wrote this book for people who are willing to open their mind and say, maybe there's some places I could change. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he said, you know, he said, as I wrote the book, I changed. That's what he said about himself. He said, I found things in myself that were, you know, self-defeating, that were racist, in myself, you know, mm. and he said, because I, because I was pointing the magnifier so deeply mm-hmm. and 
he's just basically said, I, I'm writing this for people who, who want to read it, who are interested in hearing what I have to say and might be willing to change. They don't have to agree with everything I say. And, you know, that struck me because I was like, yeah, if you're going to have this conversation, you have to start with a group of people that maybe they don't all agree, but at least they're like, I'm interested in having a discussion instead of I'm interested in making, saying what I have to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are two different things. Right. Um, you know, so That's good. I, I think you guys should do it right here on this podcast, you know, get oh, yeah. people in here and get them to all start talking. It was good. I mean, we, I think we made that suggestion in uh, a planning phase at one point of, um, and this was before all of this occurred, but just people of different faiths coming together and just talking um, because it's more conversation is needed than debates because nobody hardly would change in a debate unless they're real honest of, Hey, listen, you raised a good point. I was wrong. You know, uh, these younger generations are just going to argue back if he's not listening. So it's right. kind of, you know, it's like marriage, you know, communication, but you know, <laughs> listen, you got to work on listening. We all know. Better be careful. <laughs> exactly. I plead the fifth. It doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work when your wife <laughs> no, is a psychology major and counseling major and that's what she does. So it's kind of, you know, anywho, but yeah, I think that we just, we need to listen at some point we got to listen to both sides talk. I think what, um, I think one of the things God is doing, um, during this year is he's really exposing a lot within the body of Christ. Mm. Um, just with the whole coronavirus, everything shutting down, Mm -hmm. um, to now these, uh, these statues being torn down. And, and I think he's exposing a lot of people's true hearts and their true feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I was, I was, I was thinking about this, this scripture, um, in in revelation chapter two, um, where he's, he's talking to the, uh, the, the church in Ephesus and, um, start at verse two he says i know your works your labor and your endurance um, and that you cannot tolerate evil people you have tested tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and you have found them to be liars i know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary but i have this against you you have abandoned the love you had at first remember then how far you have fallen repent and do the works you did at first and I was just kind of thinking about that. And um, it, I, it was either Dr. Rees or you, Trevor, but um, one of you said uh, um, something about um, just basically unifying and, 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 and um, just going back to uh, loving your neighbor. And I think that's where God is taking us back to the, the two greatest commandments, love God and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we can't sit at a table and, reason with one another as brothers and sisters in the faith, you know, are we truly loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? Um, and I, I, I think God is exposing it. And I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a serious work of the Holy spirit mm. to show, um, each of us that, Hey, you have this bias, you, you, you have this, this certain thought process that you have to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order for the church to truly be unified, we have to get rid of how we once thought, um, how we 
how we, um, in the beginning, like you said, Dr. Rees, uh, we, we conflate our nationality and our belief. We have to separate those things. <clears throat> you know, you, you, can, you can be proud of your culture and where you're from, um, <clears throat> but at the same time, you have to realize that you are now a new believer in Christ. You are a new creation. Um, so the way that you think is completely different. The way that you speak, the way that you, um, you know, the way that you do things is completely different. And um, if we're, if we're going to sit at this table, you have to be completely unbiased um, it, and, and take that out and then replace that with love. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen to my brother um, from, from the perspective of someone who's white. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to listen to my, my black brother here. I want to hear his experience. I'm going to be empathetic to it. Then I'm going to share mine. And then at some point we're going to reason biblically and, and scripturally and figure this thing out so that we can move forward and truly be unified um as as one you know if we're all supposed to look like christ we're going to all look the same not skin wise but just our hearts and our thought process and the way that we do things let me say this um maybe and this this is just be a suggestion if you had let's say you have a friend that doesn't agree with you and i know a lot of people have separated over this whole issue but just maybe four y'all get together that are different and find something in common you like to do and have fun and you know i know like with certain cultures they may go out and get drunk and that way the real you comes out you know you is what jesus said out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks you know (laughs) Whatever you may, I mean, bowling, whatever you can do. I know with with social distancing that we're in today, just find some fishing or something in common and you guys are able to talk. And the next thing you know, you find out you have more in common than you do, than you have less in common. And the back half is just like, you know what? That's my brother. I can't hate him, you know? And whereas I was being fed some nonsense by whoever, it's not true. They're not like that, you know, mm-hmm. so we can't take a bad experience of one happening and paint a whole people group with mm-hmm. that same brush. I mean, it's too broad, you know, and that, that little gateway can, can open a door for us loving people and understanding people. Um, you know what? I mean, Hey, you might, if God's giving you the gift of discerning spirits, you may say something off with that dude, you know? You know. Yeah. Uh, but you know that's hey, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm just not gonna hang out with some some ain't right, you know. Um, but I mean, just get together. I mean, you got a good buddy of yours or you know whoever, and just just go hang out and do whatever y'all like to do. You know, find something in common. But I I remember um, I'm recalling the prayer Jesus prayer. I think it's John 17. Lord, make them one. Yeah. Even as you and I are one, and so perhaps 2020 is is making us one, and it's a painful process. Mm-hmm. because he has to undo a lot of stuff that's in us and meshing together. Something is not easy and it's, it's pain, but it's growth, you know? So. Yeah. I, I mean, I totally, I love everything that you guys are saying. And I, I think it's, I mean, we, we really live in a culture where people are now reduced to the the worst thing they ever did, you know? And so it's, if, if you eight years ago put one thing in your Twitter feed, then today somebody finds it, you're going to get fired. People are going to start sending you hate mail and all your friends are going to lose. That's it. You are that one tweet. Now, 
putting up a racist tweet is not okay with me. I don't minimize it. It's annoying. It's stupid. It's evil, but I can't, that's not our gospel. A person is not the worst thing they ever did. And people aren't that unidimensional. They, they have a lot of, you know, there's so much people are carrying that lead them to do stupid things and say things they don't mean. And, you know, they were raised with biases that they have to undo and unlearn and get out. And not everyone can do that, but a lot of people can, and they want to. And if we can't have conversations and consider people as more than just the one thing we don't like about them, then we just can't, we can't move forward. And we have to remember that Jesus never treated us that way. Mm-hmm. He never treated us that way. It says when we were still in our sin, he died for us. He didn't wait until we said we were sorry until we did this. You know, when I read the story of the prodigal son with my children and I say to them, did the father wait until the son came and fell at his feet and said, Oh, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm so sorry. I'm it says when he was still far off, the father saw him and took off running down the road. He, he didn't say, well, you know, when you get everything right, then I'm going to have this feast for you. <laughs> you know? right. And um, we have to be that way with each other. And it hurts to do that with each other. It's not fair. It's upsetting. Sometimes mm-hmm. justice isn't done because justice belongs to the Lord. Right. And we have to remember that too. But mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to do and it's harder right now because I'm sure like, you know, in the black community, you probably take flack for it as a Christian. If you're trying to listen to everybody's view, I'm sure there are a lot of people who rightly so are very angry and are saying, no, I've had enough of listening to that. We're not listening to it anymore. You shouldn't be listening to it anymore. And, um, you know, again, that's, they're speaking as people who this is their homeland. And it says in Hebrews, we, you know, these people were made it clear that they were looking for a homeland. They hadn't gotten there yet. You know, we have a a better, God has prepared a better place for us. And um, so we have to remember that we have to find our identity in him first, even though he made us all different and values our diversity a hundred percent. But we, the only way we can be united is when our identity is in him. And it just, um, but it's hard to do. It's hard to do right now because everything is, is binary. You know, it's like, you're either on this side or this side, Yeah. not allowed to have like a mixed kind of understanding of all the issues. Cause if you say one thing that's identified with the wrong side, you're that. Yep. And mm-hmm. that's, it, that's not fair to anybody on any side. I mean, really the, the, the takeaway is do not post anything on social media right now, but <laughs> I'm just exactly. I mean, it's, it's challenging. It's super challenging for us as Christians you know, above everything else, because we're, we're clothed in Christ. Christ is the great equalizer. And and that is what, that's what it's supposed to be. That's what he's supposed to be. And again, that's what we began this talking about the difference between Christianity and Christ and the way that people have used Christianity in like a neo-colonialist way. That's not Christ. We're just like Jamal said to that young man, that's, that's not Christ. The way your parents talk to you, that's something else that they're bringing to it. Hmm. That's good. That's good. There's, there's always with believers, there's always one experience that we have in common. And that's our, our experience with Jesus, the coming into relationship with him. And that should always be the core of our, of how we come together, how we, you know, how we should come together. 
Yeah, you know, I was thinking in Colossians 3, and it says um, in Colossians 3.10, you clothed yourselves with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And in Greek, it's literally, there's this word where. And where, I think, means in the creator himself, in God. In the creator, so it says, according to the image of its creator, where there is no longer. Mm-hmm. Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. It doesn't say Christ abolishes all of those things. It says he's all of them at one time. So he preserves the diversity of all those things, but he's all of them at once. And what it's saying is in the image of God, in the image of the creator, there are, there are not all of those hierarchies and those distinctions. Mm-hmm. Those people are all included. But in him, there is no differentiation between them. He's all in all. It's like, it's like Christ is almost like this garment. And once someone puts it on, we're all wearing the same garment. I'm still me inside the garment. My face still looks like this, but we're all wearing the same garment. When Christ looks, I mean, when God looks at us, he sees Christ. That's good. And that's how we need to look at each other and see each other through the crowd. I know that we've taken a long time, but I just, I was thinking of this story. I used to live in Baltimore, which is, if possible, a place with more racial tension than Richmond, um, <laughs> I think. It was when I lived there. And um, I went to a very, very mixed church when I was there. It was in a, a neighborhood called Greenwood, which is uh, primarily black neighborhood. There are a lot of projects there. There's a lot of, we, we were one block from like an all black Baptist church and they would not do anything with our church because there was like too many white people in the church kind of thing. Wow. Um, although the church I, I still think was primarily black and actually Asian, but um, mm-hmm. it was a really cool church. It was very mixed. So the, the pastors, there were four pastors in the church, one, um, one white guy and, and two black guys and an Asian guy. And I really liked that because they just naturally represented like the whole congregation appropriately. And it was interesting because um, when this one guy, his name was Bill, he was, he was an awesome preacher, an amazing man. And he had grown up in Baltimore as a black man, experienced so much racial prejudice, and he shared about it a lot. Um, they, they talked about racial reconciliation all the time in this church because of the neighborhood where, where it was located and because this was their mission from the Lord, really. And he told this story one Sunday, and um, this is a challenging story, but it's very interesting, and it speaks to our identity as Christians. He said that he was walking down the street in this area of Baltimore in the city where it's almost like this street that's a dividing line between like a black neighborhood and a white neighborhood. And it's a very poor area of town, but the two sides are like, you don't cross one way or the other. And the center street though is where these people all hang out during the weekend. So he was walking down the street, like on the sidewalk, and he was just going to like get his car because he had to go pick up his daughter or whatever. And he said, On one side of the street, I saw these kids who were not from that area, very obviously they were white and they were um, like trying to evangelize and they had Bibles and they were trying to like, he's like, you know, they were being nice. They were being cool about it. Like they weren't yelling and screaming, but they were like trying to say, oh, can I pray for you? Or do you know Jesus? And they were trying to do like street evangelism. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and in my head, I thought those young kids are going to get in trouble over here. I don't know what they're doing over here, but nobody on either side of the street wants to hear what they have to say right now. And he said, you know, but I was trying to get to my car and I thought, well, whatever, I'm sure they're fine. He said, but in my heart, I felt like, well, you know, they're doing the work of the gospel. That's wonderful. And I should be happy. He said, and then all of a sudden on the other side of the street, 
I saw this group of guys coming out who were looking at them and were like, let's start making fun of these dumb white kids, you know, cause they're doing dumb stuff. So, he, so they start yelling at them from across the street and saying mean stuff to them. And the kids at first tried to just ignore them. And then the guys were like, okay, moving down into the street, like they're going to cross over and really start harassing these kids. Mm. And Bill's walking down the street and he said, and at this point I thought, okay, I don't want to be on either side of this sidewalk because I don't want to be in the middle of what's about to happen. So he walked right into the center of the street because there were no cars coming and was like, I just was like going to walk right through there and get to my car. And he just said, I'm not getting in the middle of this because I'm just not. So he's, and he's a pastor, you know, so he's walking through the center and he's looking at these kids. And then on his other side, he sees these guys and they're, you know, gonna start to get violent and he can tell that they're sort of going over and to start picking on these kids and he's watching back and forth and back and forth and one of the guys in this group that's going to go over and pick on these kids that are evangelizing looks right at him as he walks by and says hey brother and he was like wait a minute so what it is is he's got this group of guys on one side who look at him as a black man and say you're my brother and so you're mm -hmm. on my side when I go over and pick on these white kids over here who are sharing the gospel. Uh -huh. But in his heart, he's thinking not about anybody's color. He's just like, I'm a Christian and I care about these kids because they're sharing the gospel. So he's like, okay. Because in his mind, it's who's my brother here? Who's my wow. sister here? And he's like, I mean, I care about everyone in this scenario, wow. but these guys are Christians and I want to help them. And this guy over here thinks I'm on his side when well, he's going to go over there and punch these kids in the head, you know, cause mm. I'm on his side. Mm -hmm. So he's mm -hmm. like, and the Lord just said, what are you going to do, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, so he said, I just went over to the side of the street where these kids were and said, Hey, you know, you guys, maybe you should just move along. This isn't really a good place for you to be hanging out, you know? And you know, I, I love what you're doing. I'm a pastor, praise the Lord. But like, maybe you should just, and they were like, yeah, okay. And, and he kind of got them to move along and the other guys just sort of turned around and went back into their neighborhood. And he said, that hurt my heart so mm. bad that I have to, that he's like, I wanted to walk straight between and not pick a side. Mm. And he said, but in this world, eventually we have to pick the side of the people who are representing Christ. We can't keep defaulting to these other constructs, no matter how important they are at some level politically or whatever, when he's like, these kids were trying to do the work of the gospel and mm -hmm. I'm on their side. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was a tough story, but it was like really interesting because I think that a lot of people are finding themselves in a similar scenario right now. That's true. Wow. Very true. I was thinking that just as you was, you were talking, um, with the conclusion of, you know, that, that true story from Baltimore is, um, that a lot of people find themselves in that predicament now. Are we choosing Christ? Are we choosing our race, ethnicity, our culture? And I think that is God really, like you said, Jamal, challenging us to undo idolization in our hearts. Um, because, you know, is culture becoming your God? You know, is your race becoming your God? You know, and God said, I will not have any other God before me. So. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, as as you were telling that story, I I was just kind of grieving in my heart, like, man, I I just I can't imagine being in that situation. Um, and I mean, it's I've I've I found myself even during this current um, social climate. You know, it's like, how do I go about 
you know, drawing a line, should there be a line drawn, you know, but I think it just, you know, the, the Holy Spirit just comforted me and gave me that peace and reminding me that, you know, your identity is not in your skin color. Your identity is not in your F F F ethnicity. It's in me. Your identity is in me and it has to remain in me because if it doesn't remain in me, then you're going to find yourself starting to idolize, um, you know, a, a certain aspect of who you are and that's no longer who you are. I mean, at, that's who you are physically, but spiritually you are in me. I am you. And I'm, I, I always get reminded of um, um, that, that scripture. I just slipped my mind. Um, your life is hidden within Christ. It's, it's in Colossians. Your life yeah, is hidden wow. within Christ Jesus. Um, and when he appears in glory, you will appear in glory just as he will. Um, so um, that's, that's good. That's, that's an amazing, amazing story to share. Thank you for that. Um, I, I, I'm kind of feeling like doing something different. Um, and Dr. Rees, if, if you feel comfortable, do you mind just praying for um, the country, praying for believers, um, praying for non-believers, um, you know, just as we kind of navigate this, this social climate, um, you know, um, how do we figure things out? Um, praying that the Holy Spirit moves on non-believers um, and, and those seeds that are planted that they grow into um, a beautiful harvest. Yeah, amen. I, I definitely want to. And I just, I want to, you know, before I pray, I just want to read this. It's from 1 Corinthians 15, because we really remember our identity in the death and resurrection of Christ, because, you know, that, that verse that you're referencing in, in Colossians, it begins with the phrase, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. And that's what we have to remember. The part of us that the world is saying, this is everything about who you are, is the flesh. We put that to death. And our identity, again, who you are is preserved, but our identity is in Christ. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, and in starting in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then those who have died in Christ have perished. And then he says in verse 19, if for this life only we have hoped, then we are of all people on earth most to be pitied. We don't follow Christ because of what's happening right here. We follow him because, because of eternity, mm. right? And, um, and that's why he's the firstborn of the dead. He's the first fruits of those who, who will be raised. And then he says in verse 32, if with merely human hopes I fought with wild animals at Ephesus, what would I have gained by it? If all we're fighting for is to be taken seriously in this life by humans that are alive right now for a finite period of time, what are we gaining from that? What do we gain from that? I mean, definitely we fight injustice and, and cruelty and, and racism and hatred for sure, but we fight it on an eternal level. It's a spiritual battle. It's not flesh. We don't wrestle flesh and blood. Um, and we need to remember that as we do this because the, the difference between the spiritual battle and the flesh battle is gets mixed up because justice is at stake here, you know, and, and the Lord showed me something about a year ago. I was studying and I, I just felt like the Lord just said this to me, um, you know, justice is what I say I care about me and, and all of us. And what the Lord showed me was, you know, justice without love is just revenge. Mm, my God, my God. Mm. And, and it's true. Mm. And so some people say they want justice, but what they really want is revenge. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's hard because, you know, um, when we say we want 
we want justice and we have to have love and forgiveness. What I say to people when they, they want to, a lot of white people in the church want to say, oh, we, well, there needs to be forgiveness. There needs to be forgiveness, you know, for, for injustices. And I say to them, yes, there does need to be forgiveness. But if a woman comes to you and says, my husband is beating me, mm-hmm. your first response isn't, okay, well, you should forgive him. And then right. when you see him in church, you know, be nice to him. No, we need to rectify the situation. Maybe full justice will not be done until eternity, but you got to get her safe. You got to deal with him. And eventually there will be a healing process that she will go through in which she will have to, to release herself from him through forgiveness. So sometimes, you know, when people say that right away about racial, you know, justice, I'm like, yeah, there can be forgiveness, but don't forget. Don't forget about the pain. And so I never want to minimize that. But justice with love is impossible without Christ. Because, mm. because how can you? How can you? Only through Christ can we do that. And, and it doesn't happen overnight. You don't do it overnight. You got to do it every single day. You got to wake up and do it again. You wake up, you see the news, you want to kill somebody again, you got to do it again. You know what I mean? I mean, you wake up, you see another thing on the news, another person, and it hurts. You can't say, well, I, I thought I forgave that yesterday and now I don't feel like it again. I mean, it's, it's you know, we have to release justice to the Lord. And we have to ask for his healing and his timing. And, and that's what I say to people in the white church who say that to me, you got to be patient because you're, you're asking something that you haven't done anything to help rectify it. Mm. And, um, and so, but it, but in the end, we can't, we can't go after revenge because it, it, it just brutalizes the person that's going after it. It, it just compounds the abuse that was done by adding, by adding more bitterness and evil. That's um, good. You can't overcome evil with evil. Um, you, over, you overcome it with love and with good. And we That's say we good. believe that, but it's hard to, <laughs> hard to have that. So yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll open in prayer for that. Father God, we just thank you for what you did for us. We thank you that in you, we are always being renewed day by day and that this life is like a, a slight momentary affliction, but it's preparing us, Lord, for a weight of your glory that you'll lay over us. Lord, we thank you that from you, all the nations of earth take their names. All the tribes of the earth will see you and, and mourn, Lord, when they see that you were pierced for them. And Lord, I thank you that there is unity in those statements, but that also you've made us all different. And Lord, that our differences can actually unite us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Or you, you tell us in your word that the world will know us by our love and that they'll know your love in us by the fact that we are one, just as Christ and the Father are one. Lord, we just ask right now that you would begin a work of healing, a work of your justice, justice that comes with love, Lord, instead of violence, instead of hatred, and instead of revenge, Lord, the justice that comes through healing. Lord, just as we know, Dr. King quoted that verse from Amos about let let justice roll down like waters and and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Lord, we know that in the end, your justice is actually, it's an act of worship on our part, Lord, to to bring those things to pass by the power of your love, Lord, not by revenge, not by fighting, not by violence and and evil, Lord God, but instead by the power of your love. And so, Lord, I just ask right now for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit 
Lord, on our world, on the church, um, and on the city of Richmond in particular, Lord, because there's just been so much suffering. And Lord, there's been so many who did so many evil things in your name, Lord God. And um, we just ask that as your followers, as ones who want to represent you to the world, that when we come in contact with those who've been hurt, Lord, who've been hurt by people who claim they were doing your will, who've been hurt by people who said they were doing right things, Lord, but instead they were really doing evil, who've called evil good and good evil. But we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us a fresh anointing to speak with those people, to minister your love to those people, to pray with them, and that you would be present as you were with that woman who touched the hinge of your, the hem of your garment, that your power be present to heal in this city, that when people come and seek prayer, when they come and, and seek the truth, that they would find you. Lord God, it says in your word that if we seek you with all our hearts, you will let us find you. And that's what we pray in this moment, Lord. I pray that justice would be done. I pray that people that have followed you all their lives, but have parts of their hearts that are veiled, Lord, that you would pull back the veil and that you would give them the strength to see the truth, Lord, so that we could live together in unity as one, just as you and the Father are one, Jesus. Lord, we need your healing. We need your touch. And Lord, we need the truth of your gospel to shine, Lord. And it may mean doing things that are difficult and saying things that alienate people because they're too angry to hear what we have to say. But Lord, I just pray that you would give us wisdom to speak spiritual things, Lord, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual so that we may grow up into the head, which is Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much, Dr. Rees, for joining us um, again. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'll probably have you back a third time. <laughs> um, Most definitely. <laughs> well, this, I enjoyed it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, this was great. Um, th again, thank you all for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we love you um, and have a great day. Peace. Peace. Peace.